to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Thursday, July 1st, the very first day of a new month and a new era. On today's show, a shift in narrative for Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. Before we get to that, uh, if you enjoy this show, please share it with other people in your life that like sports. If you enjoy this show, please go and download our app where you can view it or listen to it at your leisure. It is found under the name The Beehive TV. You can download it on Amazon, Roku, Android, iOS, all of the above. Uh, We're going to start the show in a very familiar place. One reason why gambling should be legal in Utah. Last night was game two of the Stanley Cup Finals. Because I am a sucker for pain, I went back to the well with Montreal as plus money underdogs. Last night, they were plus 175 after getting bonked on the head in game one when I also bet them and did not enjoy it whatsoever. This game followed a different trajectory through two periods because Montreal was dominating play in a way that they did not in game one. And I'm getting into it. I'm going, okay, Montreal, they look like the better team. At one point, midway through the second period, they're out shooting Tampa three to one. I'm going, this is, this is perfect. You know, 20 some odd shots on goal to eight for Tampa Bay. The score's tied at one, whatever. Montreal, the ice is slowly tilting in their direction. However, the very end of the second period, Montreal, it's just a lazy play in the neutral zone. Ben Chirot jumps up trying to grab a puck. Uh, Next thing you know, it's going into the zone. The clock's ticking down. I'm going, it's okay. Time's going to run out. Instead, Tampa has this incredible goal from Blake Coleman, who dives on the ice and smacks it with his stick, chips it over the shoulder of Carey Price. It goes in with 0.3 seconds left in the period. Tampa's up 2-1, going into the intermission. And I have that sinking feeling that comes in every hockey game that every hockey fan knows. Oh, man, this team that I'm rooting for has completely dominated. Now they're down, uh, and this game is not going to go the way that I want. Indeed, it doesn't. Tampa wins 3-1, and we have one reason why gambling should be legal in Utah, because it will remind you that all sports, especially ice hockey, pretty much just boil down to simple luck. And now, a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Narrative is one of the most commonly used words in sports, Uh, the way that we choose to interpret and then tell a story about a player or about a team. Uh, Narrative is a funny thing, again, within the world of sports, because once it gets set into place, uh, it's really hard to change in the public eye. Um, This is one of the more frustrating things for me as a person who consumes this on a daily basis and who really enjoys following it and talking about it, um, this idea that because we believed something last year that we're just going to always believe that, you know? I talk about how sports are a great opportunity to be able to shift opinions freely because information accumulates. Uh, And indeed, it presents that opportunity. However, I get frustrated with the bashing of my head against the wall with certain people and fans and especially stuff that I consume in the media at large where a narrative that has just not really been true for years is continually pushed until death. 
Um, as part of this, one of the things that I always rail about, one of the main thesis statements of no baller, this idea that team success and individual success are attached at the hip and that we should judge both sides accordingly, uh, which I always say, no, that's not true. An individual can be great and the team can lose uh, and vice versa. Something that probably 50% of these episodes are and will always be about because it's something I don't necessarily see reflected in uh, larger media coverage of sports, of teams, and of players. Uh, And again, going back to the frustrating aspect of these narratives and sometimes the inability to shift the narrative is we can't truly appreciate a player until their team reaches a certain level of success. The greatest case in point of this, one that I've actually gone into in much more detail on a past episode of No Baller, is Peyton Manning's second Super Bowl win with the Denver Broncos, his final season in the league. That year, Peyton Manning, by every conceivable metric, either the worst or one of the very worst starting quarterbacks in football. At one point in that season, he's benched for Brock Osweiler, the baby giraffe who doesn't know what a forward pass is. That's how poorly Peyton Manning was playing. He plays three... Uh, Very forgettable playoff games for him as the individual where he just kind of stays out of the way and tries not to fumble the snap. And Denver rides an incredible defense led by their defensive line, Von Miller, DeMarcus Ware, Malik Jackson that year. They ride them to a Super Bowl win. And because of this win, the light bulb clicked into place for a lot of people. And they said, Peyton Manning, now he has two Super Bowls. Well, we must consider him one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Whereas before with just one, I don't know. There's a lot of playoff failures mixed in there. We remember a lot of those years with the Colts when they kind of came short. Uh, We remember his first year with Denver when they were incredible, but then got bashed in the Super Bowl by Seattle. Eh. But now that he has two Super Bowls, we can truly appreciate what Peyton Manning, the quarterback, was in the past. Despite the fact that the season that led to that light bulb going on was Peyton Manning being the worst starting quarterback in football. So we shift gears to present day and to last night to another player that I have done an episode of No Baller on, uh, Chris Paul, one of the very best point guards and indeed basketball players of my lifetime. A dude who at every single stop has made his team exponentially better. He comes into the league on the Hornets and immediately transforms their franchise. Um, His second best player is David West, Uh, His best season there, he finishes second in the MVP race to Kobe Bryant. And the Hornets, one of the best teams in the regular season. They have home court advantage in the second round. They take the San Antonio Spurs, a dynasty at the time. Uh, They take them to seven games before losing. Um, and, And Paul meant everything to that franchise. He goes to the Los Angeles Clippers, a team that had been a laughingstock for decades upon decades upon decades so far away from the playoff picture that it wasn't even worth discussing this team. They were essentially a minor league squad for the last 30 years. Paul goes there, and alongside Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, uh, they make the playoffs every year. They're continually in the mix. They're one of the teams that people are indeed continually talking about for the entire course of his career there with the Clippers. And they fall short in the playoffs. They have some incredible memories. They have some incredibly bad playoff luck 
when it comes to injuries uh, with Griffin and with Paul. He moves on to the Rockets. And his second year there, they win 65 games. They go to the Western Conference Finals. They're playing the Juggernaut Warriors with Kevin Durant, a team that just, it seemed so impossible for any team to beat them that it wasn't even worth trying. And the Rockets go up 3-2 in that series. Chris Paul pops his hamstring at the end of Game 5 with the Rockets winning. He sits in Game 6 and 7. Loss, loss. Uh, His career with the Houston Rockets, gone. They ship him out to Oklahoma City. Team that is amongst the very bottom According to Vegas win-loss totals that season, they expect a full tank. They expect Chris Paul to be traded because there's no use for him on that team. They're not trying to win. And instead, we see the exact opposite. We see Chris Paul uh, rally a lot of players that no one really knew anything about and spur them to respectability, to a playoff berth, a team that was expected to win 15 games. They make the playoffs. Uh, They take the Rockets to the final possession of Game 7 in Round 1. Truly an incredible achievement that ends up being a loss. Yeah, whatever. Like This is where the individual success and team success separates. Chris Paul has been a great, great case study of this throughout his entire career because I've watched him ball at every stop and do incredible things, including with the Thunder, in my opinion, it might be most his impressive thing ever. Uh, He went to a place where nobody wanted to win in a league that... If you're in a bad situation, you usually just demand a trade and leave. And he gave a shit and he said, no, I'll stick it out here for this year. And as long as I'm here, I'm going to try and win. And I'm going to play as good as I can. And I'm going to get everybody else to fall in line with me. He takes that same attitude this year to the Phoenix Suns. Um, and, And we've seen that team flourish. Team with intriguing pieces in place, but had had no notable success up until this point. They hadn't made the playoffs in, in this era. And... They're the number two seed in the West. Uh, They are going through the playoffs. They're setting up last night's game, game six. They're up 3-2 in the series with a chance to go to the NBA Finals. Uh, This is all part of Chris Paul's story of this narrative. And the one thing that has always shined brighter than anything is that he has continually been held accountable for his team's inability to win in the playoffs. I want to read something from Paolo Ugetti of The Ringer about this season and about Paul's resume in general. As a player and competitor, Paul's resume is unimpeachable. He has performed at an all-star level throughout his career and has remained unabashedly himself no matter the team or situation. Yet to this point, his teams have lacked that tricky combination of talent, chemistry, and luck Necessary to reach and win the finals. Phoenix has so far presented him with the perfect canvas to create a masterwork. The Suns entered the season with the talent to rise above empty stats. And with this team, Paul's not only found an ideal version of himself, but also a choir ready to back him up and carry him when needed, like they did in games one and two of the Western Conference Finals when he was out due to health and safety protocols. The kicker, which often feels like it should be the headline, is that Paul is having one of his most successful seasons in his 16th year in the league at 36 years old. End quote. I want to concentrate on one line from that. Phoenix has so far presented him with the perfect canvas to create a masterwork. This ties into another theme of no baller. 
one that will always be here. Uh, the importance of situation. Phoenix puts together this team over the course of last offseason that we've seen really flourish because the strengths accentuate strengths and cover up one another's weaknesses. Um, this team that has been put in place, which has a lot of talented players as individuals, but again, has not necessarily up until this year, been able to piece together this winning formula. Now they've found that with the addition of Paul. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikkel Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, Cam Payne, Corey Craig, Dario Saric, all these people. Uh, a lot of them have had success at various stages of their careers, but none of them have had this. And going back to Chris Paul, they definitely have not had this. This winning formula that now is propelling them into the NBA Finals. It's really cool to see this happen at this stage of a player's career. 16th year in the league, 36 years old, one of the best seasons of Paul's career. Uh, with a team, with the situation put in place that perfectly complements and strengthens his skill set. Uh, this point guard, the point god, as he's known, who can toggle between creating and scoring at any moment, depending upon what the situation demands. That's always been Chris Paul's skill. And on this team, it's perfect. Because, oh, I can set up Devin Booker. He's one of the best scorers in basketball right now. Oh, DeAndre Ayton, he's coming into his own. Okay, sweet. L let's get him the ball. And then when the time demands it and those people are on the bench or it's just a breakdown ISO possession, okay, I can still get to that mid-range that I love so much and that I can get to probably when I'm 120 years old, and I'll do that. Uh, this is what Phoenix has put around him, this situation, which has been able to boost Paul to greater heights than he's ever been in his career as far as team success is concerned. Uh, and this is a two-way street because a year ago, the Suns were intriguing. A lot of these players, Devin Booker most notably, but you know DeAndre Ayton, uh, Mikhail Bridges, a lot of these young players that were on these up-and-coming Suns, we looked at them and we said... They intrigue me, but they haven't had any team success. And so it's hard to discern whether what they bring to the table as basketball talents will translate into winning. That's always the question. Always talked about. Until we see it happen, we always will have that question. So it's this team. It's not just Chris Paul. It's not just Devin Booker or Aiton or go down the list of all these players. It's this team, this situation that has been put together that put Phoenix in in position to win last night. They go into Los Angeles, game six, up 3-2 in the Western Conference Finals. In games one of two, one and two of the series, Chris Paul sits. And Phoenix is good enough in his absence to win both games. So they're up 2-0 and Chris Paul returns. And in the next three games, games three, four, and five, Paul struggles. He doesn't play well. And the Clippers, they win two of those three games. That sets the stage for last night. And it's all these conflicting threads when it comes to narrative and how we always want it to be clear-cut. Oh, this player had to have performed well because his team won. And this player had to have performed poorly if his team lost. It's never that simple. And much like we're seeing with the Peyton Manning stuff back in the day, there's always different things that go into a team winning. I want to read two things from Anthony Slater of The Athletic. 
that were written about Chris Paul going into game six. The Suns are up 3-2 in this series, despite how poorly Paul has performed. Soon after he played the signature role closing out the Nuggets, he contracted COVID-19, entered quarantine, and seems to have lost all his offensive rhythm in the time away. The Suns won the first two games without him. Paul returned in Game 3, and Phoenix's offense slowed, as both Paul and Monty Williams admitted postgame. Paul walked the ball up the court, and the Suns took too many late-clock jumpers, Williams said. Paul is 19 of 60 shooting in his three games back, and the Suns have lost two of three, and in the lone win, scored only 84 points. Their offense is stuck in mud. They have a 97.7 offensive rating with Paul on the floor in this series, and a 112.5 rating with him off it. Paul is tricky enough to get to the free throw line a decent amount, but he doesn't get to the rim anymore. Only two of his 60 shots in this series are in the restricted area. So when his jumper is off, his efficiency numbers plummet. Paul is 3 of 13 on non-restricted area paint shots in this series, 12 of 29 in the mid-range, and 2 of 16 from 3. That's how you only score 55 points on 60 shots. End quote. So again, this is going into game 6. Played very poorly in the series up until that point. However, you rewind one series prior against Denver, and Chris Paul was incredible. Uh, One of the very best stretches of basketball of Chris Paul's life in the playoffs. Four-game sweep for the Suns. And Paul, he's there for every single game. Game one, 21 points, 11 assists, 6 rebounds, 8 for 14 from the field. Game two, 17 points, 15 assists, 5 rebounds, 6 for 10 from the field. Game three, 27 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds, 9 for 16 from the field. Game four, 37 points, 7 assists, 3 rebounds, 14 of 19 from the field. Four consecutive games, just A-plus level Chris Paul performances. In the series, he has five total turnovers in four games to go alongside all of these high-volume stats at incredible efficiency numbers. Uh, In the closeout game, he has a quarter. He drills eight straight jumpers to just kind of put the Nuggets to bed. Uh, Chris Paul, masterpiece of a performance. The entire series was. The Clippers series, until last night, it was a different story. Missed two games because of COVID. Struggle in the three games that he'd come back and played in. But we go back into team and situation and the stuff that has to be in place to win and to allow great players to come in and seize a series by the throat. Which brings us to last night. I'm going to read two more quotes. The first one is from Paolo Ugetti of The Ringer, and the second one is from Kurt Goldsberry of ESPN. Watching Chris Paul these days feels like stepping into a movie theater that's showing a supercut of his most famous moves. There is a repetitive nature to his game that astounds the older he gets. How many times can he weave through a defense and come out the other side with a perfect elbow jumper? And then from Kirk. At six foot one, he's the best mid-range shooter in the league. He has been doing it for years. Well, except in the Houston era where mid-range shooting was forbidden. Consider these facts. One, he led the league in both total mid-range attempts and total makes. And number two, out of the 20 most active mid-range shooters this season, Paul had the best field goal percentage, 
hitting 52.3% of his non-paint twos. End quote. So the mid-range master, everybody knows this about Chris Paul. He's made an entire career off it, 16 years. And he's just been able to, at will, get to that elbow. Um, If you've been on the wrong side of it, it's the most frustrating thing you'll ever watch. If you're on the right side of it, it's, it's just something that gives you so much confidence in his team's ability to try and win. Because, you know, when push comes to shove, Paul can just shake and bake in place for a little bit. And through all these herky-jerky Chris Paul moves, get to a spot where he's now shooting a mid-range jumper, usually against a big that he's drawn out into a pick-and-roll, and he's swishing it over and over and over and over and over again. And he hadn't been doing that when he come back in this series, as those Anthony Slater quotes and stats showed. Uh, but the team put him in place for last night, and Chris Paul turned in one of, if not the most uh, defining moments and games of his career. Game six, the Suns win going away, uh, 130-103. Paul's stat line for the game, 41 points, eight assists, four rebounds, three steals, zero turnovers, 16 for 24 from the field, seven for eight from three-point land. Truly a masterpiece from a dude who has just done stuff like this his whole career. Uh, and, And it hasn't necessarily correlated with his team getting to where it is now in the NBA Finals. But it's been there. And last night, it's one of those light bulb moments for, I think, a lot of people. Oh, my goodness. Chris Paul at age 36 in season 16 can still turn in something like this, where he's everywhere. He's doing everything. (laughs) He's scoring 41 with eight assists with no turnovers. Again, Chris Paul, just uh, an incredible player, uh, very unique, and one of the very best basketball players of the last 20 years. The pivot point of the game. The Suns go up by 17 uh, in the later stages of the third quarter. It looks like they're getting ready to put the game on ice and pull away. Clippers come roaring back. 10-0 run. Cut it down to seven. They take a timeout. Phoenix does. Uh, It's showing Steve Ballmer in the crowd just doing the weird Steve Ballmer stuff that sends a shiver down your spine. He's sweating and touching the people around him and who knows what's going on through his mind. The point is, it's, it's that stage of the game where you go, either we're going to be in for a nip and tuck fourth quarter, or the Suns are going to respond and, and retake, not retake, uh, build this lead back out. So out of that timeout, defensive breakdown on Clippers' side. Chris Paul, the not the dude you want to leave alone, he steps into a wide open three, top of the arc, swish. They get a stop. Uh, Paul comes back. He gets Boogie Cousins switched out to him on the pick and roll. He's shaking and baking. Boogie's trying to overplay that elbow jumper that I talk about that everybody knows is coming. And Paul gets all the way to the rim. Little lefty layup. Good. Next possession. Paul contested three. Swish. Eight points from Paul. Phoenix weathers the storm. The fourth quarter, they lay the hammer down. That's game, that's set, that's match. Phoenix is now in the NBA Finals on the strength of team and on the strength of a performance like this from Chris Paul. So here's where I like to make note of how interesting these shifts in narrative are because there's so much that goes into this stuff as I'm always talking about. And it's never as simple as 
Chris Paul balled out this series and that's why they won. Or Chris Paul was atrocious and that's why his team lost. It's never that simple. And I always like to make note of the interesting ways these shifts occur and the light bulb moments for the general public. And I see last night and I go, because these people around him are good, because this Phoenix team is good enough to weather the first two games of this series without Paul, and then three games of substandard play from Paul, we now have a renewed or newfound appreciation of Chris Paul himself. You know, you go down the roster of players last night, this team that has been put together in a really smart and effective manner and then coached in the exact same way. And I say, man, Jay Crowder, he's been ice cold all series, but last night he brought it 19 points, five rebounds, swishing every three, you know, five for nine nine from behind the arc. Played a big role in last night's win. Uh, He's played a big role in Phoenix's success this season. Just the steadying presence, one of five players in the starting lineup that's been amongst the very best lineups in basketball this year uh, at the highest minute rate of anybody in basketball. DeAndre DeAndre Ayton. I see him last night, 16 points, 17 rebounds, 8 for 10 from the field. Uh, Gave the Clippers problems when they would go small in a way that... Gobert couldn't with the Jazz. Uh, Aiton has been one of the revelations of the playoffs. He's played a role in this Phoenix run. Uh, He's played a role in now the light bulb moment for people that, man, Chris Paul's now in the finals. We can reassess what his career has been up to this point now. Devin Booker, alongside Trey Young, the breakout star of the playoffs. Uh, I, I feel for the dude's poor nose who had it broken in game two last night. He takes a clear-out elbow from Paul George right in the same thing, and I'm sitting there going, man, that has got to hurt so damn bad. But he keeps coming. Uh, And just like Paul, he didn't have his best stuff for this series. His team around him made him better. Uh, He did not shoot well throughout the series. He didn't shoot well last night. But he brought uh, a tone-setting attack mindset that is always important in games like this, that you know that this player is there for the fight. He's got two ferocious dunks in the first three quarters where he's just going to the rim, going to the rim, going to the rim. Uh, And this continual mindset, it bleeds out to a team. Rather than game five when everybody was tepid and kind of lost and they didn't seem like they were necessarily ready to play, game six was the opposite. It seemed like everyone on the roster was there. That comes from the tone being set by your best players, from Paul, from Booker, from Aiton. He finishes with 22 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists. It even trickles down to players that normally you wouldn't really think about, and down the road we won't. But a performance last night from a dude like Tory Craig, who played huge minutes off the bench for the injured Cam Johnson, who had been really good in this series and kind of a vital piece for Phoenix off the bench. Instead, he's out with some sort of sickness. Craig steps in. He plays 31 enormous minutes. For Phoenix, he gives phenomenal defense against Paul George. He contributes with, you know, the margin play. Eight rebounds, a steal, a block, that kind of stuff. The glue guy stuff that every team needs in order to win. And in a game six, when you have a player out, Craig slides right into that role. So it's interesting, you know, all this stuff comes together. Paul plays awesome, so damn good. And the team plays well around him. And the team put him in position in this series to be there. And in the prior series, Paul was a big reason why they were winning. And in the prior series, it had a lot to do with just 
simple injury luck. LeBron being injured and Anthony Davis getting injured at the wrong time. All of this stuff comes together. It's the stuff referenced in the Paolo Ugetti article uh, and quote, talent, chemistry, luck. All three of those things are required. You have to have them to win. You have to have them to go to the NBA Finals. So now Chris Paul gets his due, and rightfully so. One of the very best basketball players I've watched in my life. Uh, He turns in one of the finest games of his career last night. After missing the first two games of the series and playing poorly in the prior three. Uh, And even before this run this year, you could have asked me last offseason, I would have said, Chris Paul's career is an unmitigated success. Uh, regardless of what happens from this point moving forward. Because I'm always a person who wants to understand the relationship and the lack of correlation sometimes between individual and team. Um, So last night was just kind of the perfect storm of everything that I enjoy as a sports fan. And that while I'm frustrated by the way a narrative shifts... I do like when a player gets his due or a team gets their due. And so Paul, he's going to be showered with praise going into these NBA finals. And again, that's, that's how it should be. That's something that should have always been there for the last 16 years. Um, but all of this stuff, it ties together in, you know, what is probably... The, the thesis statement of no baller, one that if I had a chalkboard, I would write it behind me and I would tap it every moment when we start each and every episode. Team success is not always reflective of individual success and individual success is not always reflective of team success. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.